before apparently so you guys know that that's very very good hey let's pray how about that god we thank you so much that we could be here in your house today lord we're grateful that we could be with with your people and we are here not for us we're here for each other but mostly we're here to worship and uh to hear from you today thank you for uh the awesome fellowship and the warmth we've already felt um here and uh lord jesus thank you for the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice that you made on the cross for, for me, for us, and for all in the world. Lord, we, uh, we give this time to you. Jesus, we know that you are healer, redeemer, creator, lover of our very souls. And we thank you for that. And I pray this in his holy name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. You guys. Jeff and uh, praise team for leading us before the presence of God. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. Just uh, thinking that early in my ministry, somebody challenged me. This is, of course, a long time ago, you know, and we had these choruses and they would repeat the same words over and over. And people were going, what's with that? What's with this repeating the words over and over again? I said, well, it's kind of like in the Bible. Uh, so, you know, I think if David and the psalmist could do it, I think it's probably good for us to do it. Why? Because we're a little dense. And so uh, when we wash over our soul with the same truth, it helps it to soak in. So if that sometimes is a, a problem for you, just read Psalm 150. Because uh, in we have uh, six verses, and I think the word praise is used about 10 or 11 times. Uh, repeated praise the Lord praise the Lord we're glad that you're worshiping with us this morning whether you're here in, in person or online I just want to call our attention to a couple of announcements first of all for those who are here in person we don't collect up an offering anymore so there's a box on the welcome table as you leave or there are uh, online ways to give so you can check us out at uh, www.creekside.com Uh, and you can find that out if you're interested in giving or at the end of the service as you leave just put the offering in the in the box that we'd appreciate that several prayer concerns in the bulletin so I'd ask you to make light of that or if you're uh, online you can go to the website or you can uh, email Megan at Megan at Creekside DM and hopefully she can uh, get you signed up for our Creekside newsletter where there'll be also we have a get to know us luncheon coming up So if you're kind of new to Creekside, or maybe you've been here for a while, you're just not sure what we're all about, we're going to have a luncheon coming up. The information's in the bulletin, so I'd appreciate it if you would just email Megan so we have a number count so we know who to count on, particularly if you're here within the, uh, started coming within the last year or so, we really would like you to come so you can get acclimated to who we are and know who we are. Also, we're planning a baptism, so that information is in the bulletin as well, and so please contact uh, Megan so you know there are several volunteer opportunities that are available, so we'd appreciate it if you would uh, 
you know, we're kind of ramping up back now after all the craziness from the last year, so we're trying to get things going. And I don't know who I was supposed to talk to, but am I supposed to dismiss the kids for uh, Sunday school? Yeah, okay, so if you're uh, young people that you're ready for Sunday school, this is the time, so follow Miss Katie there, and uh, she'll, she will not lead you astray, I guarantee you. Okay, uh, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, uh, how great is our God is worthy of our praise. And I thank you so much for the reminder that we can lift our voices to you, and I pray that in our spirits we would worship you in spirit and in truth. Those truths would resonate within us. And I ask now, Father, that as we open your word, that you would speak clearly to us, that you, Holy Spirit, would guide or instruct us, and that you would not just inform our minds, but you'd transform our hearts and our, our lives by your grace and for your glory. We pray that you should help us as we dig into a somewhat difficult text for some people to understand, well, actually for all of us to come definitively to understand it, but there are truths we can mine from here that should change our lives, and we pray for your help and assistance in it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, for two and a half years, uh, the disciples had been on an intensive residency program, okay, with the Lord Jesus. And he had been teaching them, and his miraculous activity, and all of his authoritative instruction was intended to convince them, not only them, but the, the other people that were following along, but particularly to them, that he is the King of Israel and the Lord of the Nations. Now, Jesus kind of pulled back from this public ministry, beginning in chapter 14 with about verse 13. He kind of dabbled back in in chapter 15. He came back into the region of the Jewish people, but then he pulled away again. And so he's kind of pulling back to intentionally and intensely teach his disciples that who he is, who his person is, and what his purpose on this earth is. And so he'd kind of pulled back and he'd come away from it. And he, we come to a point in the study of Matthew where it's test time. It's final test time. And some of you young people and uh, maybe some of the not so young people who just finished finals or just finished your, your semester, you can relate to this. But it's test time. And Jesus gives them two tests on the final exam. And one of those questions, uh, the, the two questions on the test, and one of the questions, the final question, is the most important question that anyone will ever answer. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? That's the question. And then Peter comes with this major confession. Some would say this is the great confession. You know, we have the great commission, we have the great commandment, and now we have the great confession. And Peter's confession, speaking as I believe he did uh, for the rest as a spokesman for the twelve, tells us that after months of skepticism and misunderstanding, they had come to somewhat of a good understanding realization of who Jesus is and, and what he was about. Now, it wasn't a full understanding, but it was a, it was a good one. They began to understand. It began to sink into them for the first time that Jesus is the Son of Man, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we come in Matthew's Gospel to kind of a pinnacle point, a high point of teaching and doctrine. And it's the inauguration of the church. First time the church is ever mentioned in the Gospels, right here, Matthew chapter 16. 
So I invite you to open your Bibles or turn into your, on your device and get there somewhere to Matthew chapter 16. If you're here in person, you can reach under the seat in front of you and find a Bible in Matthew chapter 16 because it's Peter's confession in verses 13 through 20 provide us with two insights into the person and the purpose of Jesus that should in, work in our lives, should convince us, first of all, to trust in him fully, Secondly, it should move us to share him more boldly and then finally to serve him faithfully. Now, I know in all those, are, if you're looking at your notes and you're looking at the screen, all those are on there. But I add stuff, okay? So just, uh, I, I'm not just bound by what I've submitted uh, yesterday, all right? Okay, so it's good. But I'm going to read the text, so I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13, and I'm going to read it. Now, I'm going to say... This text has two of the most difficult verses in all of the New Testament to try to tease out. So we're going to go in for it, okay? Here we are. Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13. Now, when Jesus had come into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Oh, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, or bar Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you, that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Jesus reveals Two insights through Peter's confession. Matthew does. He reveals these insights. First of all, we learn that of, of Jesus' authentic identity through Peter's confession. And there are three aspects of the confession that I want to highlight for you. First of all, there's this interrogation. I want you to see the map where we are kind of getting our bearings here. Okay, so if you see Magadan, that's where Jesus was. Okay. And he had come back from over on the east side of, in the Decapolis area. That was a pagan region. Then he came back to Magadan, which was the, the Jewish region. And then now in chapter 16, we find him clear up at Caesarea Philippi, which is another pagan region about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. So he's intentionally kind of withdrawing from the, the, the hordes and the crowds of the Jewish people because he wants to drill down with his disciples. And so in this pagan land, he says, okay, I got a couple of questions for you guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with, with these questions. And so he tests them to see if they understand who he really is and what he's really about. First question, he says, first of all, who do people say that the Son of Man is? This is his own personal favorite self-designation, son of man, okay? And it's a, it's a designation that is fraught with theological implications. It traces back to Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 to a, a heavenly king who rules eternally. 
So here Jesus is referring to himself as some sort of a human person, but ultimately always a heavenly king who's going to rule eternally. What's that about? Well, who do the people say that I am? It would be like the Iowa State football coach, Matt Campbell. If Matt Campbell uh, said to his football players, you know, grabbed all his players and staff and they got into the locker room and, and he said, okay, you know, I mean, who, who do people say that I am out there? You know, what, what are they saying about me? Who, who do they say that I am? And Jesus gathered his closest followers, his disciples, and he says, you know, what, is the, what are the general pubula- population saying about me? I mean, what, who do they think I am? And we see the response. Well, some say you're John the Baptist, you're reincarnated, just like Herod thought you were back in chapter 14. So they're following Herod and saying, yeah, he's just, just John the Baptist, come, come from the dead, raised from the dead. Others say Elijah. Now, why would they say Elijah? Well, he was the supreme Old Testament prophet, right? The forerunner of the Messiah. And others say Jeremiah, another one of the famous prophets, or, or another one of the prophets. So they're, they're kind of giving him credibility. And in John chapter 6 uh, verse 14, uh, I think we have that. Do we have that one? Yeah. Therefore, when uh, the people saw the sign which he would perform, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Now there I think they're referring to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, where uh, Moses prof- prophesies that there's going to be a prophet coming. But they think he's some sort of a holy man, okay? He's, he's a, he's a big-time deal. But I want to say this. Throughout uh, their views, we have written here, like many throughout history who spoke admirably but not completely accurately about Jesus were flattering but they were flawed it was flattering to think of Jesus as a as a prophet or you know somebody that's an important spiritual person I mean here's the deal even Napoleon said this Napoleon said I know men and Jesus was no mere man the French atheist Renan He said, he described Jesus as the greatest among the sons of men. So to say Jesus was a prophet like Elijah, a good and wise and moral teacher, or a holy man like Gandhi, is, I would say, a corrupt compliment. Because it's deficient. It's not all of who, he he was all those things. Was Jesus not a prophet? Yeah. And was he not a priest? Yeah. Is he not a prophet? Is he not a priest? Is he not a king? Yeah. So to say he's a prophet, okay, that's nice, but he's way more than just a prophet. He's more than that. And so it comes to another question. Okay, that's what other people are saying. But who do you, and this is a plural you, okay? See, I I do believe that pronouns have meanings in the English language, and they have them in Greek. And this is a plural pronoun referring to the disciples. And he says, who do you, plural, say that I am? So Peter speaking for the group. Now, we know that Peter often spoke for himself. Uh, You know, opened his mouth and stuck his foot in and had to have it pulled out several times. But here he says, you are the Christ. So here we come to the confession, you know. Who is Jesus to you? Wow. Hmm. That's the most important question you can ask. It's the most important question you can answer. Who is Jesus to you? Well, is he a wise teacher? Is he a moral example to follow? Is he a significant person but not Savior and Lord? 
And some people say, oh, he's a nice guy. He's a good teacher. Did a lot of nice stuff, you know. He's one of those really good guys. Well, he's more than that. You see, many see Jesus favorably without surrendering to him fully. And you know what? That's not enough. To see him favorably and fail to surrender. And so we come to the confession. That's the interrogation. Here's the, here's the, here's the, the final the confession here. Peter says, speaking for them, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So what does Jesus say about himself? He says, I'm the Son of Man. I'm this human being, but I'm also this divine king who's going to reign forever. And what do the people say about him? He's a prophet. What does Peter say about him? You are the Christ. Mashiach. The Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. You are the long-anticipated and anointed earthly king of the Davidic line to rule over us. You're the Messiah. You're the Messiah. Matthew chapter 1, verse 16 uh, says, Jacob, father Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. Oh, interesting. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David was told that he would have a son that would sit on the throne forever. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we see the prophecy of this son who would be born to sit on the throne forever. This is Jesus saying, I'm the guy. Actually, it's Peter saying he's the guy. Okay, Peter is saying he's, he is the divine son of God. The son of God. He says not only is the Christ, he's the son of the living God. He's the son of God who came into the world. <laughs> Why? As we heard in our first service in Matthew chapter 1. To be the savior of the world. His name shall be called Jesus. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. He is the son of God who came. And he said that. And it was the reason Jesus was crucified was because he called himself the Son of God, making himself equal with God, which they considered to be blasphemy. John chapter 5, verse 18 says, This reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. He is the human Jesus, who is the divine Son, who is the Savior of the world. Peter is confessing Jesus as the Christ. They acknowledge, they began to grasp his humanity and deity and his messianic mission. They began to grasp it. Christ is not some lifeless idol. He's not some mystical myth that we can dismiss. Character, but the incarnate promised Savior King who has life in himself. Notice that. He says, you're the son of the living God. God's not dead. He's a living God. And only a living God can give life to those who are dead. And all of us are spiritually dead. And so only a living God can give life to those who are spiritually dead. You are Jesus. Jesus is, as the writer of Hebrews says, the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. He's God in the flesh. The Savior of the world. So, who do you say Jesus is? Nice guy, moral teacher, prophet. Or do you say that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God? He is my Savior and he is my Lord. That's the question before us. Is he the Son of the living God who bore our grief 
in his own body, was pierced through for our transgressions, and by his wounds we are able to be forgiven of our sins and given new life in him. And so the prophet Isaiah described the servant of the Lord as this in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 6. It is our sickness that he himself bore and our pains that he carried. Yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted. That's his problem, right? No. Struck down by God and humiliated, but he was pierced through for our offenses, and he was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Peter said it in 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter 2, I'm sorry. In verse 24. He was... He was crushed. He was. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross. We might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. Okay, by his wounds we're healed. See, it's Christ, and He alone. He's the one. And so we have to ask ourselves: Is He your Savior? Have you turned from your sin? Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you turned from your sin and trusted this Savior who said he's the one who delivered you? And if you say no, then I say, please do. Please acknowledge your sin, that you're headed for an eternity apart from him, and turn and receive his gift of salvation, which he accomplished on the cross, and become his child. And if you say no, or you say, yes, I am a child of God, then I ask myself, I had to ask myself, okay, so am I getting to know him better? Can I say, how great is our God? Because he's, he's getting to be greater to me as I get to know him better and love him more. That's the question. Am I seeking to serve him without reservation? And someone once said, that uh, are we challenging ourselves to, is, is Jesus present in my life? Is he prominent in my life? Or is he preeminent in my life? Is he preeminent in my thoughts? Is he preeminent in my words? Is he preeminent in my actions, my interactions with my spouse, my siblings, my coworkers, my boss? Is he preeminent in the things that I do throughout my life? That's what God calls us for. So there's this interrogation, then there's this confession of Peter, and then there's kind of the explanation, well, how is this possible? How is this possible for Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, to me? <laughs> Look at verse 17. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, to be envied, literally. <laughs> you are to be envied. You are blessed. It's the first of three statements which Jesus makes to Peter, okay? The first of three statements. And, and, and not just to Peter, but to all who confess Jesus as Lord that are, that, uh, as recipients of eternal life and, and the blessing of new life in Christ. You're blessed because you received this eternal life and this new life in Christ through your confession. You, you evidence that you are a child of God. And it's something in which you delight. It's something which others desire. So you're blessed. That's what it means to be blessed. It's something you delight in, something others desire. I remember my niece graduated from high school. She got a new car. <laughs> it's like, whoa. She delighted in it, and other people desired it. You know? Uh, she, you, you, you delight in it, and you desire it. 
what? To be blessed. But notice, the reason for my rejoicing, the reason if you can rejoice in the realization that Jesus is the Savior is because of what? He says in verse 17, because flesh and blood didn't reveal it to you. It's not something you earned. It's not something I earned. It's not something we deserved. It's something that God miraculously did for us. Jesus' miracles and his authoritative teaching did not ultimately convince the disciples then or anyone now that Jesus is the Messiah. The miracles of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, didn't ultimately in and of themselves convince anyone then or now that Jesus is the Messiah. Possession was, and, and subsequent profession of genuine faith in Christ is a result of God's gracious work in us. That's just the flesh and blood didn't reveal it to us. Well, then how did we get it? Because God did it. But my Father revealed it to you. God's work, it's not us. It's not human invention. It's not flesh and blood. But it's divine revelation that brings us to the realization that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's God's work in us. You see it in John chapter 6, verse 40. Uh, Jesus says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Well, how is it that we see and believe? Well, you keep reading in John chapter 6, you look at verse 44. He says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Then in verse 65 he says, And he was saying, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. So, seeing and believing in Jesus is a result of God's drawing us to himself. It's God's powerful work within us. And there are two means. You know, this, is, this is the same thing that uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, the, the God who said light should shine out of darkness is the one who shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's God who reveals himself to us that brings us to this realization. And how does he do that? Well, two ways. He uses the word of God, the proclamation of the word. Romans chapter 10. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, how shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear unless someone is sent? And then he quotes Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, announcing peace, proclaiming news of happiness. Now that's a little bit of an embellishment of the actual text in Romans chapter 10, okay? So if you're reading it, it's not exactly what it says, but it's the essence of it. Because when Paul quotes the Old Testament, you know, he does these crazy things. He doesn't always just say it verbatim. I mean, he kind of uh, says some other stuff in there. The point is this, if you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's nothing you did. God brought you to himself so that none of us can stand up and say, yeah, you know, you just got to do it my way. You know, you just got to know the things I know. You got to understand. Now, yeah, you got to know some things. You got to understand some things, but God's the one that turns the light bulbs on, you know. Because we're blinded apart from him. Flesh and blood didn't reveal these things to us. But the Spirit of God 
works with the Word of God. That's number two. The Word of God is first, and secondly, is the, the Spirit's powerful work in us. Because the Spirit of God does what? He convicts us of sin, judgment, and righteousness. Brings us to a point where we realize, yeah, I'm a messed up person. <laughs> well, no matter how good you are. You know, you grew up, oh, I grew up in the church. Yeah, I don't care. Um, I, I, was, I was good. Never told a lie. Never, never cheated. Never stole. Wonderful. Uh, that's nice. But you were never jealous. You are never angry. You never, uh, uh, you know, looked on a woman for lust or anything like that. No, no, no. Yeah, that's a lie. Because I know it's not true. Because all of us sin. We fall short of the glory of God. And he says, look, it's the Spirit of God that convicts us of sin and brings us to the place where we repent, believe, and are saved. So what is Peter's confession? I know you intimately. You are the Son of Man, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I ask you this morning, and most of you, you know, you, you, a lot of you grew up in church. Do you know this Jesus? Or is he just a nice guy? It matters. And here's where we find out why it matters. Because the second insight we give is that Jesus' actual ministry is revealed to us because of Peter's confession. And the first, the final two statements, the first statement was, blessed are you. Then he gives Peter two other statements in light of his confession. And they provide us three clues as to what Jesus' ministry was all about. And first of all, we see that Jesus came to build his church. Verse 18. This is a... Really interesting passage that is complicated. It says, I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So what does he mean there? Well, I'll tell you this is the, the short version. The Roman Catholic Church uses this verse to substantiate the fact that they say that Peter was the first pope, and every pope afterwards comes from him, has God's authority in him. Okay? So the Protestants for centuries have been trying to find ways to understand this verse somehow so that Peter's not the object of this rock, that he's not this rock. And so uh, the Protestants would say, well, and this, these are, the rock refers to Christ. Because many other places in the Bible, Christ is referred to as a rock. You know, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Peter chapter 2, you know, he's considered a rock. Okay, so that's not an out, out there idea or maybe it just refers only to Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ so this rock upon which he is, is this confession and there are other other things but I think if you look at the text it says here and I say to you and he's talking about Peter you Peter specifies it and upon this rock well there's a wordplay going on here grammatically and linguistically it seems that uh, it's clearly a reference to Peter and his instrumental role in the foundation of the church, most likely as a representation, a representative of the twelve in his confession and in his actions. There's a wordplay. The word Peter is the Greek word for Petros, which means rock. And upon this rock, this Petros, Petra, I'm sorry, Petra, which is a larger rock, I will build my church. And so it connects, I think, logically to Peter. And there's no doubt, no question that Peter was instrumental. If you read the first 12 chapters in the book of Acts, that Peter was instrumental in, in, in this thing called the church. He was instrumental in seeing that it got started. It's undisputed that he was there. But he wasn't solely responsible during this infancy of the church for its growth. And he certainly wasn't some supremely perpetual priest 
that you could derive other priests perpetually from, that it was the only authoritative voice of God. So I, I don't agree with the Catholic conclusion about who Peter was and how he perpetuated his priesthood, but I do believe that this rock in this verse refers to Peter. But how so? Not just as an individual. I like what John MacArthur said uh, when he says, it was not the apostles themselves, much less on Peter as an individual, that Christ built his church, but on the apostles as his uniquely appointed, endowed, and inspired teachers of the gospel. Peter wasn't alone. Look, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20, uh, says, So then you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household having been built on the foundation, now get this, of the apostles and prophets. So, the, so yeah, Peter, I'm going to build my church upon you, but, you know, you're not the only guy. There's other apostles and there's prophets. But you are important, okay? And I'm going to use you in, in powerful ways. Read verse 18. You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus is supreme here. Peter is subservient here. He is the tool which God used, but not the only one in the toolbox, to build his church. So he is important, but he's not supreme. Jesus, Peter, served with the twelve along with the prophets as the foundation upon which Jesus built his church. It was the apostolic message, not the messengers. You read in the book of Acts, they gave themselves in Acts 2.42, they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching. So it's the message, not the messengers, that they, that they celebrated and they looked to. And Christ is still using the gospel witness, the gospel words, the gospel testimony of important human agents, prophets, apostles, and even current day pastors and teachers when they're preaching this book. Not when they're preaching some other thing, but this book because it's the word of God that brings people to the realization of who Jesus is coupled with the spirit of God. So when Jesus says in John chapter 5 verse 39, uh, you, you search the scriptures because you think that they, uh, you search the scriptures because you think in them they have, you have life, but they are they, the scriptures are they which testify of me. So it's only Peter, it's only apostles, it's only pastors and teachers afterwards who are preaching this Jesus that are building the church. And the church is ultimately built on whom? <laughs> the ultimate foundation, which is Jesus, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. You see it on the screen. One foundation, one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ, and he is also the chief cornerstone of the church. So let's not get that wrong. It's not Peter that's the cornerstone of the church, but God used Peter and the apostles and the prophets and others after them who are preaching and proclaiming the truth about Jesus is found in the word to build his church, which Jesus is the Christ. The church is the community of redeemed people of all ages. It's all believers from all time. And Christ is seeking to present the word of God. Christ's ministry is to expose the world to his true identity so that he can enfold as many as the Father draws into the family and so they can expand this community of believers. That's what we're all about. Um, I ask uh, 
Megan put a picture of uh, Sam's Club or Walmart here, okay? Sam Walton built the Walmart empire, right? It's bricks and mortar stuff. It's money and all that kind of stuff. Christ is building his church. It's not bricks and mortar stuff. It's, it's human stuff. It's people. The church is comprised only of people who believe in Jesus as the Christ. And we see in this text that uh, the emphatic statements that indicate that this church that Jesus is building is inevitably and invincibly part of Christ's mission. It's inevitable. And it's invincible. And that should be an encouragement to all of us who are part of this church. First of all, you notice he says, I will build my church. This is a promise that's still being realized 2,000 years later. He is still building his church, right? He's still drawing people in to the kingdom. Now, you've heard the saying, what are the two things that are guaranteed in life? Death and taxes, right? And the church. And the church of Jesus Christ. I will build my church. It's inevitable. And it's invincible. And the gates of Hades will what? Not overpower it. Not overpower it. The gates of Hades will not overpower the church. What are the gates of Hades? The gates of hell. It's the power of death. Okay? It's a Hebrew idiom for the powers of death. Death will not prevail, shall not prevail against it. Death will not prevail, nor will the devil prevail against Christ's church. Just look at it this way. Death and the devil are impotent in overcoming the church's progress. Alligators are fascinating, you know that? Because they're invincible. Like like these things, they, they can't die. You know, they, 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 they like inject cancer cells into them and they, they somehow adapt and overcome. They, they live in forever. They're perpetual dinosaurs, right? They're invincible. The church of Jesus Christ is even more invincible than, than any alligator that you ever knew, okay? Like you know an alligator, right? The church is triumphant even in persecution. You know the church in China is bigger and growing faster than the church in the United States and it's illegal. Go figure. See, the, the Reformation cry, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, is true. The church is going to prevail forever. And we know that death cannot destroy the church. Not only that, that it won't, because we see that Jesus came to bestow. The second thing that we learn from this interaction between Peter and Jesus is that Jesus came to bestow authority on his church. Verse 19, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Whoever, shall, shall, uh, whoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whoever shall be loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, uh, if anybody else wants to come up and kind of wax eloquent on this passage, uh, I'm not going to let you, okay? All right? What does all that mean? It's like, well, this is confusing. Notice the intentional contrast. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. But I'm giving you the keys of heaven. Well, what are the keys? The keys are a tool to open or close a locked door, right? I mean, you use them to open and close a door. Well, metaphorically, it means that they're given the authority. Because if you have the keys, you're, you're in charge, right? You're the boss. Some of you have seen the Andy Griffith show? 
You know, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's probably good quality entertainment. Well, now, here's Barney. Now, Barney Fife, he had the keys, you know, in the jail. Down here at the Rock, we got two rules. Rule number one, obey all rules. Rule number two, obey rule number one. He could lock them up. He could set them free. What Jesus says here, what I think Jesus is saying here, my understanding is that similarly, Christ gives Peter and all true believers in Christ the keys of authority in gospel proclamation to declare who's bound, to declare who's destined for an eternity in hell, and who's loosed, who is forever forgiven based upon what God's Word says. It's interesting, the language here, because the keys of the kingdom and whatever you shall bind, which really means has been bound. He says, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound. Literally, it's just has been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth has been loosed in heaven. In other words, God is concurring with gospel proclamation that's authoritative based upon the Word of God, not our own inclination. So that I can say to you this morning, with the authority of God's word, if you will turn from your sin and trust Jesus Christ and his death on the cross as the payment you deserve and understand that his death paid the debt you owe and that his resurrection proved that he would declare you righteous and justified before a holy God and you trust in that with all your heart, you are redeemed. And you will spend an eternity in heaven but if you reject it, guess what? You're bound to spend an eternity in hell. And I'm saying only what God says. And so it comes on God's authority. And what God does is, is can't be argued with. You are forever forgiven if you're trusting. You are forever condemned if you're rejecting. Accepting and rejecting Jesus as the Son of Man, the Christ, the Son of the living God will determine your eternal destiny. And that eternity begins now. It's not something at the end. It's not like a tacked on thing. If you're trusting Christ, you have eternal life now. If you're not trusting Christ and you never trust Christ, you're set for an eternity apart from God. And that's not what I want. And I don't say that with joy. That's the difference between people who are just trying to gain a crowd. I don't want people to go to hell. I don't preach the cross with delight. I preach it with grief because I know that some people will reject it. And those who do, God pity their soul. And those who receive it, guess what? It's not because of us. It's because of him. It's because of what he's done for us. And we have no claim to the throne apart from the work of Christ. Why should you be led into heaven? I've asked people this. If God was, you were to stand before God and he says, why should I let you into heaven? You know the only right answer is? He shouldn't. Apart from the work of Christ. But in and through Christ, he, he's bound to. He has to. That's his promise from his word. And so, first of all, we see that that. He's building his church. And he came to bestow authority on his church. And second, thirdly, he came to break on the scene at the proper time. He says to them in verse 20, yeah, uh, just kind of keep this under wraps. Seriously? 
You're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we're just supposed to not tell anybody. What's that all about? Well, there are a lot of opportunities, and I'm going to give you one little snippet because I can't give you the whole thing right now. A lot of different reasons it could be, but I think part of it is he says, and I quote a line from a, a movie that I'm not encouraging you to watch, but uh, there's a, a movie, and the line in the movie is, you can't handle the truth. Okay? You're not ready to handle it. You just can't handle it. Yet. Okay? You can't handle it yet. And we know this, I think, because look at even Peter. Even Peter's confession was better than his knowledge because in the next few verses, he's denying that Jesus is going to go to the cross. So he didn't fully get it yet, right? So he spoke better than he understood. And I think what Jesus is saying, you know what, guys? You're just not ready for this yet. But it comes, it comes. When does it come, this declaration? When Pilate puts it up on the, on the cross and staples, nails it up there, and he says, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. It's the Christ. That's when it publicly comes out. So even Peter didn't understand it. But with fuller clarity and firmer conviction, I can stand here, we can stand here, anybody who's a a believer can stand and say, Jesus is the Son of Man, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Would you please, if the Spirit of God is working in your heart and drawing you, respond to His work. Don't resist Him. And turn from your sin and trust Christ. You say, I don't know. I had a test in high school, and uh, one of the questions on the test was this. What do you know about dirt? That was it. It's like, what? I mean, I studied all this stuff. It's like, it was in a a vocational agriculture class, so that gives some context for it, okay? But it's like, dirt. What do you know about dirt? Write everything you know about dirt. Jesus gives us a much more significant question. Who do you say that I am? And to you this morning, you're listening or here, and you, you say, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of skeptical about this Jesus guy. I'm not really sure I'm sold on it. You know the guy that said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and every one of those guys with him, they went on to die for this? As if it was some kind of a hoax, I don't think they would have given their lives for a hoax. I don't think they would have given their life for, you know, who is Jesus? Is he some nice moral teacher? Is he, is he a, a wise counselor? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Is he Lord? Well, these guys said he's Lord. And he went on to die for it, and they were there. I'm going to kind of side with them. I think they understand it a little better. And besides... I couldn't deny the Spirit of God working in my heart and drawing me to Himself. When He said, come, I came. And so if you hear and feel the inkling of the Spirit of God, then I would say, don't delay. And if you don't hear that, I pray that you would pray that you would hear that and not resist. And for those of us who know Jesus, what what do we look at here? Are we we courageously proclaiming this living Jesus? who's building his church, and we're part of that church, and the gates of Hades cannot prevail against us, we're going to win. I read the end. I read the last chapter. And, and we win. So let's hang in there. And you know, as, as, we, as we close our service and we, we break bread and we drink this cup, what a, what a great fitting reminder of who Jesus really is. Because it's in his death and his burial and his resurrection that he proved that he is the Son of Man, the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
whose death purchased our pardon. And his resurrection provided the promise of righteousness to all who believe. And so, if we know him and we take this, we're, we're reminded of his grace. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. And we're not just reminded of that, but we're reinforced in our mission. We will give nothing to and for Christ greater than he has given to us. And so in the next few moments, as the, I'm going to close in prayer and the praise team is going to come and they're going to lead us in a song. And I invite you, if you're here this morning, you're at home, you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as the Spirit of God moves you, just take the elements and partake of them. But I, I caution you and ask you to spend some time examining your heart. And if there's unconfessed sin or sin that need, you need to get right, do that before you take these elements. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, it's complicated sometimes, difficult to understand. We pray that with humility we would understand these things. We thank you that you've revealed to us the authentic identity of Jesus. And you revealed to us uh, the authority and the power, the uh, actual ministry that, that we are to have because of Jesus. And I pray uh, that, Lord, we would reflect on your grace and be reinforced in our commitment to your mission for your glory and the gain of your kingdom, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. are dismissed.